and uh, and I woke up and I talked to the captain and he's like, Skipper, you got through a storm. I'm like, me? I did? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it was a perfect storm actually. And the idea clicked there. And it was through that, um, then uh, being on lockdown, um, I unfortunately had to move. Um, I this, during the last lo- during the lockdown, like I said, I could go back and see like how things kind of shift and push me into my purpose and to my writing. But unfortunately, I had to move and I didn't have a place to live. My my lease for my condo was up and uh, during the pandemic. And so while I was moving, I found several journals of my past uh, seven years of of my medical. Uh, just medical, my uh, my medical issues, what I went through, and I decided, you know what, this would make a good book. This would make a good like all these journals. What if I just put them together? And that's basically how I got the the name and the book. So the name is called The Perfect Storm: Navigating the Storms of Life in Messy Waters. So mm. I took different pieces of my mess where I felt like the, those times of my life were messy, and I put it into seven chapters and. Let me tell you, it, it, it people don't realize when you're ready to share your story and be authentic. I always tell people, I would tell people going forward now, looking back, is just, just be yourself. Don't worry what people are going to think, what you write. It's, it's for you, but it, and, it's, and as you taught me, Coach Jenny, not only is the message for you, but it's also for somebody else to help someone else. You're listening to The Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Grind and Gratitude Show. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. If you're an avid you know, listener and follower of the podcast, and you're listening in one of 55 countries, you already know I got a lot of love for you. My name is Danny Stone, also known as Coach Stone is in the building. I'm the host of the Grind and Gratitude Show. Super excited that you're here. And guess what, everybody? Guess what? I have a guest for you. That's right. You know, I haven't been bringing you a lot of guests lately, but now I'm starting to bring back guests. And you know, one thing about me is I bring on people on the show that I think are going to, one, have amazing stories, two, that are going to add value to your life, and three, that we can all learn, share, and grow from. So I'm super excited to have this guest on the show. For over 21 years, Stacy has been a noteworthy leader within the community, providing support and outreach, especially within the Caribbean community, from working with homeless shelters to grassroots organizations to coordinating children's camps to mentoring programs and outreach events for at-risk at youth uh, in disenfranchised areas in Toronto. She's also somebody who is a very powerful woman. She has been going through her own health challenges, which we're going to be talking about. 
And on top of all of that, all that she's been doing, she wrote a book. <laughs> and the book is called The Perfect Storm. I can't wait to dive into that. So welcome to the show, Stacy Savory, also known as Destiny. What's going on? How are you? Oh, hello, Coach Jamie. Thank you so much for having me on the Grind and Gather. I'm grateful to be here today. Okay. I, I'm so excited. And um, thank you for having me to be able to share a little bit about my story and my book and what I'm doing now uh, since I've written the book. So it's been two years after the book was written in the pandemic. Wow. Um, That's amazing. We're going to, we definitely got to talk about that because so many people were sitting still during the pandemic and you weren't, you were moving. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that. But first of all, we're both rocking our hats. I see you got your little, you got your captain's hat on. I got my chapeau on. I don't know. We're we're in sync today. We're both rocking hats today. (laughs) We're matching. We're color coordinated. You're color coordinated with your hat. I'm color coordinated with my hat. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So, you know, before we kind of get all into the road, like, you know, tell me, uh, you've been involved in doing all this community work for, for a long time. Like, how did you get involved in doing all this work in the community? You've done a lot. Right. And um, the funny thing is when people see me, they don't realize how much I've done because I've been doing it behind the scenes. I'm not, I, I, I wasn't after seeking awards, um, um, accolades or recognition my community those things are nice but i've truly been on like grassroots level working with um i've been behind the scenes uh working with the city of toronto i got my training through the toronto youth cabinet uh where i was an executive member i don't know if you remember the days of kende uh kende ba obviously kevin king who's now big shot lawyer on the street you know Tamiko morgan um, I'm a part of that group in, in the 90s that, you know, of young people that came up and said, you know what, something's going on in our city, whether it be like, you know, um, a youth employment, youth being able not to access jobs, the different things. You know, as you know, you're also an uh, advocate for, for uh, anti-violence against youth and, and children in the city of Toronto. So I was on those committees um, on the, like, making those decisions. And I was a youth representative. I remember I was called to sit on the, uh, the chief of police um, back in the day. And that was a big thing. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was the only black woman and the only youth to represent. And guess what the question was? They turned to me and they asked, Miss um, Savory, what do you think we should do about the youth violence in the city? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so these are the opportunities that I've gotten from like the get-go, like probably like 20 years ago that I just basically um, put my, I believe I was positioned to sit on these committees that help to develop programs that you're now seeing to cater to the young people. So I'm very grateful for the work that I've done uh, behind the scenes. And the, even now, I, as you know, the government has these times where they're very generous to the giving to the Black community, you know, those government grants and all that. But I, I actually commend those organizations that not, that necessarily don't depend on that, that, you know what, they're going to get the work done despite, you know, they're going to have their board of directors, going to have their volunteers, and they're going to make movements. So I've always been a part of creating change and making movements behind the scenes in my community. Wow, that's so amazing. And you you you, you said that, you know, as a youth, so you, you were on these counselor, on these um 
you know, these these panels and these committees as a youth. So, like, what was your childhood like growing up? Well, my childhood, I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. I migrated here young as a child. And um, my first my first point of contact was actually Oakville, Ontario. And then I moved to Oakville, and then I was in Tobacco. So um, I grew up, um, unfortunately, my parents did um, separate as when they came to Canada. But I grew up, my, my mother never made me feel like I grew up in a single-parent home. I was, I personally feel that even though I grew up as you would say, um, the project we call Rilleridge back in the day, like West End, and that considered one of the at-risk areas in the 80s. Mm. Um, I, I remember, like, dodging bullets from daycare. <laughs> like, so that's the type of community that I grew up. However, like I said, my mom um, and my siblings who came after, we, we had a strip, like a, a small family, and my mom built a community in Rilleridge, whether it be through the daycare center, the people picking me up, Willow Ridge, around 44 Longbourn had a had a, a camp on the in, in the basement. Like so anywhere I could be where I can uh, call home and create a homing community, I believe that that I think that's the grassroots for me. To mm. being in those type of environments. People say like, would you would you if there's one thing that you change, would you change like when you first come to Canada? Because as you know, people who migrate from the Caribbean or Africa, different countries unfortunately some end up in these pockets of the city right mm-hmm. in these housing low-income housing they say whatever but my mom my mom worked hard my mom worked and she worked the cibc and she worked her way up and trust me she i i don't remember i was on i wasn't on assistance we weren't assistance but my mom always worked and she told me that you know what it can be done if you work hard and you know they you know everybody wants to chase the american dream but you know in canada it's just Similar, you come to Canada, you want to build something for you and your family, you want your children to have all the opportunities, access, education that you didn't have, so you push hard. So my my grinding comes from my mother. I saw my mother do it, and look at her now. She's amazing, and she's probably your mom, sound, she sound, your mom sounds like an amazing woman. You know, how, how old were you when you came here? So probably around one, one and a half, two. <laughs> okay, okay. So you had, you know, you had an amazing role model in terms of your mom, and so yeah. do you get a lot of your drive and your passion to to help other people from your mom? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because I remember her um, early days working at my first point of contact to serve a community was through the CIBC um, run city care for breast cancer. So she would put me at the front of the booth and, and, and ask, um, again, skills. Um, I basically solicit funds from people for, for the breast cancer walk. And these are the, the, the tools and skills that I learned that helped me to be able to write for grants, to get money for my own grants and my own program. I actually had my own program in Rexdale um, to about 10 to 15 girls called Girls of Destiny. Um, and, and it's amazing because like more than 10 years ago, my, now my girls who are young women with families and children and, and husbands and and they're they're just creating a storm in, in the city in the city of Toronto and also us uh, elsewhere as well. So I think the main thing that I got was the coaching and the mentorship. I believe all young people should have some sort of coaching and mentorship, and that's what basically propelled me and was a catalyst in my community work and how I operate in Toronto. Yeah, I agree. I, I think mentorship and basketball saved my life. And, um, and that's why I was so passionate and I am so passionate about helping young people 
And so many people say, when when you ask people who sort of end up down the wrong path and may have been incarcerated, or when you ask them, some a lot of people say that they're a product of their environment. And yeah. I disagree. Like, you're not a product of your environment. You're a product of your thinking. Because mm-hmm. the misconception about people who grow up in low-income communities is that they're criminals. But when you look at the percentage of people that are criminals, it's only a small percentage of people that actually wreak havoc on the community. It's like probably less than one or 2% of the people. Right. You have 5,000 people living in a community and five of them are you know, involved in criminal activities or 10 or 15 or even 20. That's like less than 1%. So I agree with you when you're saying coaching and mentorship and it's exposure outside of your community, right? You're getting like your mom, she took you to the the walk for breast cancer cure. So you got to do these things, I'm sure, outside of your community. Right. And so do you think that that kind of contributed to you wanting to to do more because you stepped outside of your community and did other things? Yes, yeah, definitely. I and uh, one thing that my mom, uh, I don't even remember back in the day that uh, when we used to take um, these bus trips over the border. They used to go to the to Buffalo these shopping trips with, with a church or a community group. And my mom was like, oh, we're getting, we're, we're, we're going. So she packed us up and we go. And I remember one time we ended up in New York and my mom took me to Harlem and I went into the Harlem library. I almost, I cried when I said as a child, I've never seen so much black books and books with children that look like me, little girls with hair, you know, and that like, you know, at that time, you say, you know, the natural hair, 40 here. Like, I'm seeing, like, little girls looking like me on books, on magazines. There was, like, Essence and Jet magazine. And I was, I just, <laughs> like, literally small. And I remember that, going to the Harlem Library. And my mom was like, okay, it's time for us to go. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay there. I want to, can we, can we bring all these books home? <laughs> like, can we, like, you know, and that. Um, her taking me to the library in Harlem, taking me to the library in Toronto, downtown Toronto, the biggest um, library, and exposing me to literature and to Maya Angelou and to, you know, um, all these um, great authors, you know. Um, she was reading it. I was reading her books as well. Mm. So I think that love for books and that dreaming, like you said, dreaming outside of my community. One day I can write. One day I can be a poet or I can tell write poetry, I could do art, I can do something. I am not a product. I, what you see is just because I live in, in low in metro housing or lower income housing or whatever or in Willowage, it doesn't mean that I can't be a beacon of light to others, right? And that's what I'm doing now. I'm being a beacon of light through my book and through my experiences and saying, you know what? Um, you know when even though we were we're given a plight, I say a plight and a sense of a mission and a purpose. Everybody has to go on a journey. Everybody, I'm going to call myself a navigator. I'm a captain. Everybody has to navigate their journey to, to get that destination, right? And so that's why I wrote my book. All of those things from childhood, you know, even to, even to the teacher who told me in, in at 17, you know what, oh, um, you're not a good writer, you know, about how I should consider college and not university. Let me tell you. Same thing out. happened to me, by the way. Same thing. Right? Yeah. And so I thought that I that I'm not, not good enough. I'm not well enough. But tell what? My my book became a bestseller <laughs> during the pandemic. 
My mm. little 77-page book became a bestseller just because I thought that, you know what, let me take a chance and maybe some some people will have to, um, will, will, will be able to hear my story again and get some sort of, you know, joy or hope through my story. You know, what if what if I listened to that teacher and that told me that, you know what, your writing is not that type of level, you know? So it's, it's very important that we surround ourselves with culture activity, <laughs> with, with feeling culture. Like, but not only that, my mother provided, back then it would be called representation. She showed me something that can happen, that I can do, that I could possibly be a part of. And she was so proud of me. She was there when I launched my book during the pandemic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, listen. Okay, so now that you mentioned the book, we got to talk about the book. So, okay, tell everybody, you know, how the book came about um, and, and how you chose the title for the book. So um, I have beautiful friends that own boats and yachts. And when I was on one of the yachts one day sailing on the city, uh, on the lake, lake Ontario in Toronto, and they told me that I slept through a storm. I went to downstairs to a cabin and I fell asleep during the storm while they were upstairs. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to literally navigate a storm and get us back to, to, to the shore safely. When I woke up, the, the, the skies were clear, it was sunny, it was sunny. And I woke up and I talked to the captain and he's like, Skipper, you slept through a storm. I'm like, Me? I did? <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, it was a perfect storm actually. And the idea clicked there. And it was through that, um, then uh, being on lockdown, um, I unfortunately had to move. Um, I, this, during, the last, lo- during the lockdown, like I said, I could go back and see like, how things kind of shift and push me into my purpose and to my writing. But unfortunately, I had to move and I didn't have a place to live. My, my lease for my condo was up and, uh, during the pandemic. And so while I was moving, I found several journals of my past, uh, seven years of of my medical, uh, just medical, my uh, my medical issues, what I went through, and I decided, you know what, this would make a good book. This would make a good like all these journals. What if I just put them together? And that's basically how I got the the name and the book. So the name is called The Perfect Storm: Navigating the Storms of Life in Messy Waters. So mm. I took different pieces of my mess where I felt like those times of my life were messy. And I put it into seven chapters. And let me tell you, it, 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 people don't realize when you're ready to share your story and be authentic. I always tell people, I would tell people going forward now, looking back, is just, just be yourself. Don't worry what people are going to think, what you write. It's, it's for you. But it, and, it's, and as you taught me, Coach Jenny, not only is the message is for you, but it's also for somebody else to help someone else. So that's how it came about. Wow, that's a, I mean, that's an amazing, amazing story. I, now I see why you got your captain's yeah. hat on. You know, you're yeah. the perfect storm. That's how you got the name for the book. And I love the title for the book. And congratulations on being a bestseller. You know, that's really amazing. And you know, one of the things that I I, I want to uh, to to say is is exactly what you added on the end because I meet so many people who's like. You know, Coach Stone, I see you have two books out and I want to write a book about my life. And when I say, okay, well, you know, what's the point or what's the purpose of the book? Well, I just want to write about my life. Okay, do you want people to read the book? Yeah, yeah, I want everybody to read the book. Well, then what's in it for the reader, Mm -hmm. right? And so 
a lot of people have really interesting stories, really powerful stories like you. We're going to talk more about yours, but it always has to be about what's in it for the reader. <clears throat> it's not about us. Like we all have amazing stories, right? <clears throat> and so as you're putting this together, did you have like a certain kind of person in mind who would benefit from reading your book? Right. right. Or people? Yes. Yes. So uh, I just wanted to say that also I am, um, anything that I share also, I am not a doctor that I always encourage people to, to seek professional medical help. So um, I, through the book, I basically became a patient advocate. In my work in the community, I was always advocating for other people. But that, again, that was the catalyst. But I didn't know that I would have to use those same skills and now to advocate for myself mm-hmm. as I navigated the healthcare system as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I did receive some sort of um, racism, um, medical gaslighting, basically not being believed for my pain and the, thing, the trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, the trauma, the anxiety, everything that I went through has propelled me and prepared me to share my story, but then also realize that as I'm suffering silence, I'm not the only one. So therefore, during the pandemic, there were stories coming about that women who are who have chronic pain and illness, that's my catchment area, that's my population. Anyone who suffers from chronic care, I you would look at me and think I'm fine, yes, but below the surface, I actually have an invisible disease. I have chronic conditions and other needs. Whether I talk about it or not, it's still there, right? Mm. So let me take you below that, Sammy. Let me take you below Yeah, there. yeah, no, no, talk of it, you're comfortable. Below that, I have something called endometriosis. Basically, it's a, it's an issue that, again, like you wouldn't see it happens in a woman's reproductive order. It's, it's, it's a reproductive disorder, right? That happens when the uterus lining goes outside. So it basically happens around the woman's cycle at the end of the month. But for me, I'm not shedding as I should be. I'm shedding into other organs as a woman. Mm-hmm. And so through endometriosis, I learned that I cannot operate as the hustle and the grind, even though I have that motivation and that I can I I can no longer move as somebody who is, is well. But mm-hmm. I have to wellness is what a state of mind for me. So my my day will probably look totally different from somebody else's. I call it um I call it uh, the spoon theory. Basically, I'm given a twenty spoons. You're given twenty spoons. I'm given twenty spoons. But you're operating on a one hundred percent level. I'm operating on sixty percent level. So mm. what you get done for the day, Coach Danny, is not what I'm gonna get done. You're gonna get five to seven things. I'm gonna get probably three of those things. But I'm gonna do it well, and I have to manage that so I don't flare up. I'm doing things for the next three days, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, right? yeah. So I have to cater my life now around set specific boundaries, communicate to people and tell people what I need. My friends, my family, my partner, my boyfriend, hopefully my future fiance, but you know, I have to tell them what I need and how um how I'm feeling that day, my pain level, if I could uh complete the task or if I'm not, or if I can't, right? So I in a it's bittersweet because as a person who was always running, 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 as you can see all the work that I've done in the community, I burnt out. <laughs> I burnt out in the last 10 years. And being burnt out, um, the pandemic was actually a blessing in disguise because it allowed me to slow down, to process. Now, 
how am I going to plan for the next five to 10 years? How, I'm, how am I going to grind and hustle for the next 10 years? It's not going to look the same as, as what I was doing before. And I think one thing that I, I can say as a navigator, now I'm actually helping and coaching other people to do that. I've actually become a, a patient author, a patient advocate, using my voice online on healthcare platforms in the, the Canada, US, and the UK. And now I'm actually coaching women who are finding mm-hmm. me on Facebook saying, how do I do that? How do I navigate my life with this new diagnosis? Mm. Because I was there. Man, you know, it's such a, you know, first of all, I'm just so, you know, sorry to hear that you're going through this. And, but I think it's also, um, it's also, it also shows that like your pain can, can help somebody else, right? Your pain can help somebody else through the process. And so like, when did you get diagnosed? Like, when did you find out about, about this? So I was, first, I would like to say that it's, I've always, unfortunately, I've always had this condition and no one knew in my family. So I've had some of my first menstrual cycle, 13, 12, 13, I, I had it. Wow. So I'm 40s now. Um, I, during um, high school, I went to high school, then on a roll, I did all that. I was wow. in, you know, I was on, um, uh, in sports, track and field. I was on the drama committee, leadership committee, did all that. College. It was in college that I, my funny that I, I knew something was wrong because I almost didn't finish college at that time. Mm. Um, and I was um, in bed for a couple of days and I remember just pushing through. But it, yeah, it literally takes on an average, uh, I'm one to 10, endometriosis, I'm stage four. It takes on an average five to seven, five to 10 years to be diagnosed. And that's what it did. So I wasn't yeah. officially diagnosed until my mid 30s. Now, Mid 30s, 35 in a woman's life is considered very important. Why? Because that's where they say um, it's your childbearing age, anywhere from like 25 to 35. Mm-hmm. And I just got diagnosed on the brink of that. So 20, it's October 2017 where I was officially diagnosed because I was fought for emergency surgery. They didn't want to give me a surgery. Wow. But I I fought the medical system and I said, if you don't give me surgery, I'm going to die. And unfortunately, I was actually right. I, I didn't die, but they took out, they removed 16 fibroids and pieces, 18 pieces. Wow. I went into surgery weighing 120 and I came out weighing 110. So imagine 10 Whoa. pounds of fat embedded in my sore. And that, yeah, those are also baby blockers too. Why would it, why, why didn't I get pregnant when I was married at that, that time? But I didn't get pregnant because all that was blocking. That was right. basically sucking the life. Anytime I would try to get pregnant, it would suck the life from the baby. So therefore, you know. So why does it take so long to get diagnosed? And why did you have to fight to for them to listen yeah. to you? Right. So it took so long, took so long because um, unfortunately, we are dealing with a health crisis. I, as I said, I could only speak from my experience. And I'm speaking from a Black, as, as, a, as a, a Black, woman living in Canada of Caribbean descent, I'm speaking from someone who has personally received racism in the medical field. I personally feel if I was a white woman with blue eyes and came in there with blonde hair, I'm sorry to say, but the truth is if I was in the same age operating and doing what I was doing, I personally think my my health and treatment would have been accelerated. Mm-hmm. 
So I would pass on from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. No one believed me. They misdiagnosed me to the point where I had to write up a doctor. <laughs> I had to write, unfortunately, I had to write up because she misdiagnosed me and putting me on medication that was being detrimental to my health. Mm. Yeah, th- unfortunately, I've heard this. I've had not, you know, not the best experience with um, one or two hospitals. And I know other people who, who have well, black people as well. And it's a common occurrence, it seems, based on the people that I've known. And, and I think this is probably one of and it. Not probably. I know for some of the people I've talked to when I ask why they don't go to the doctor, it's for that reason. Right. It's like, well, well, for what? They're not going to do anything or they're going to misdiagnose me. They don't care. And so that's some black people's excuse for not going to the doctor. And so right. what would you say to somebody who has been misdiagnosed? And, you know, what would you tell that person right now? Someone, especially a woman who's going through this, who, you know, the doctor's right. not listening to her. What advice would you give? Right. So um, I would I would tell you to listen to your gut. You have something called gut intuition. I believe it's very powerful. That instance that, you know what, something's off, something's wrong. Again, um, as, as, as you know, Caribbean women, Black women, we tend to take care of ourselves and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, take care, uh, um, don't practice proper self-care and self-love. Why? Because that has been ingrained in us. <laughs> you know, but cook, clean, take care of children, send children to school, work. Yeah. You know, even though the father's there, you know, you have a father, but they call them absentee landlord. Remember, <laughs> the he's there, but he's just, he's just catching when he's not really doing nothing. But he's there, daddy's there, right? So a black woman, Caribbean woman is doing everything. And unfortunately, I've been ingrained in that too. I've been ingrained that to put myself aside, even if lumps, bumps, things. If, one of the signs to tell you is true, so that I knew something was wrong, is I was losing my hair. My real hair, my hairline was going back. Like I was balding. I had bald spots, and that's actually um, one of a, a signature symptoms for fibroids, for cysts, for um, heavy bleeding, for these things. But again, it comes out rashes. I would break out in hives, mm. anxiety, uh, PMS, heavy bleeding. Another indicator, unfortunately, where a lot of people just have you don't want to talk about it. Is uh, painful sex, and uh, my last uh, last five years, I was working with a uh, women's health organization in Toronto called Women Health and Women Pan um, Health Center, and I was um, promoting sexual health and HIV um, prevention and all that. So I learned about it. I learned about uh, it is not a woman shouldn't be having shouldn't be um, experiencing discomfort while being um, intimate with her partner. So these are the, the things, like the indicators. You can, you can Google all you want. <laughs> you, could ask, you could ask Alexia, you could ask whoever, but at the end of the day, it's your only wishing to say that something's wrong. If someone doesn't believe you, go to another doctor, go to another specialist. What I had to do is I had to leave Toronto, Toronto Hospital, and literally go to Peel. It was Peel that actually diagnosed me. Credit Valley Hospital, I had to leave and use my cousin's address. <laughs> I'm not sorry, I just in order to get help. I know people, women right now who have to leave their provinces. I know a woman that has to leave BC and come to Ottawa to get the surgery. That that it. and it's multiple surgeries. I I thought, oh wow, oh one surgery 2017. I'm good, I'm good to go. Then two years later, another surgery. Now they're saying another surgery, another 
I'm going on my third, fourth surgery. I'm like, what's happening here? Wow. I personally believe that there were in the last five to ten years, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of information for again, um, in the matriosis in the black community from mm-hmm. a black perspective. And the reason why is because no black women are not even coming forward to say that they have it. So therefore, I also believe that us not being included in, in the medical, in the race, the race is like, like in the, let's say, race-based data. <laughs> it's just you have, they say, oh, one in 10 women in white Canada have endometriosis. But how much of that does that apply to me? Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't apply to that because I'm not included. Right. We need to be included. It starts from the top. Yeah, you know, first, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing and creating awareness around endometriosis and really having these difficult conversations with women because, you know, they may, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know, like, you don't know, like, you're you're the type of person who is, you know, you're strong and determined and, you know, you kind of have that foundation with your mother, but some women might not have that type of support and they might not have that ability to to keep going and they might think that they're the only ones going through it so you being out here having these conversations you know uh, at all levels of government with doctors with individuals i think is so important and so powerful because when you're going through something and you think you're the only one going through it it's very difficult but when you're going through something and you know other people are going through it and you have an opportunity to speak to them. It doesn't take away the fact that you're going through it, but it helps you to understand that you're not the only one and you can share information. Right. And I think that's, what's really important, right? What you're doing is you're advocating, you're sharing information, you're encouraging women to acknowledge what's going on inside of their body and not be ashamed or afraid to come out have those conversations and tell your doctor, this is what I want you to do, or this is what I need from you. And if they don't give it to you, go to somebody else until you find it. You know, and I, I really appreciate and respect all of the work that you're doing there. Thank you. Christian. Yeah. So like for you, you've been through so many things in your life, right? And going through all of that stuff, like, why did you make the decision that you're going to be the one to write the book and that you wanted to put the book out? Because it's not easy to put a book out with, especially if it's something personal Mm -hmm. and to share that with people. Like how, when you first did that and you pushed, you know, send to upload it to Amazon or get that first book printed, how, how are you, how are you feeling at that time? Cause I know when I, when I pushed the button on, you had the keys now drive. I was like, mm, God, you know, um, I don't know why you got me writing this book. I'm not a writer, but okay. If it helps one person, but I was terrified. <laughs> so how were you yeah. feeling when you first put your book up? Christian, I was, I have to say, I have to, I, I was terrified myself. And it was one thing that I learned, uh, with my publisher and the people. I, I had a support team. I had a prayer team. I had people praying for me because I honestly didn't think I was going to make the deadline. Mm. I, I, I Closer to the end, I just started to have I, some, like, chills. Like, literally, I got sick and I was like, I like, my cold sweats. So I'm like, again, I, all those, I personally think, comes back to me 
being addicted to approval, being addicted to what caring what other people think, caring what my family would think, especially because there are things that I wrote in there that my mother did not know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically had to confess and and come out and we could have those conversations now and talk about those things, very uncomfortable things of re- the real reason why I left home at 17. Mm. Right? And um, I had to come to terms with myself, but I did it in fear, like you, Kostani, I did it in fear. I pushed the sand button and I was like, well, it's out there. Mm. <laughs> Whoever's going to read it now, like again, but the feed, let me tell you, I have to say one thing. I honestly, I'm a black woman in Toronto, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, the black woman being working with black women in Toronto, black women's house and wellness, empowerment, and sexual health, and all that, get tested, and, you know, take care of yourself. It's actually the black men <laughs> who mm. supported me first. Wow. Who share my book. I have um, Colin, um, poet Colin, he wrote, Colin Jones wrote, a, a poem for me, specifically for me, for this book. Right. And while I was going through those trials, mm-hmm. black men have stepped up and said, you know what? I see you, I see you sister. I see you. You're, you're not my partner. You're not my wife. You're not my, but I see you as a sister. I see you as, you could be my sister. I remember somebody reaching out to me saying, you know what? Um, I want to buy my book for my sister because my sister has and the mm. and I didn't know. Uh, the uh, black brother asked me in the community, how do I support my sister? And I'm like, that's a very good question. Mm. Do what you do now. So like, again, yes, you, you, um, talking about it, getting resources, just channeling. Yes, it is a, a taboo subject. It's a sensitive subject because it happens below the belt. But you know what? But I commend you for reaching out to me. And saying you want to buy the book, so I send him a print copy with a with a note to his sister. That's so nice. You, you, so, you know, I think you, you you talked about something, a couple of things really. Um, f- well, let's go back to first. You know, the difficult conversation, like once your mother read it, right? I've had to have difficult conversations with my mother, with my father, siblings. Uh, you know, I I I just believe that my story and my truth is my story and my truth. And if it hurts other people, then they can speak their truth. Right. I'm not, I can't control what you want to say or what you want and you can't control what you want me to say. And so it's difficult, but I would rather have those difficult conversations with people than hold on to them my whole entire life and something happened. And we, I never get the opportunity to clear the air. So I've had many difficult conversations with many people and it's not to say that I'm better than them or I'm right. It's just, this is how I'm feeling. Now you can tell me how you're feeling. So when you put that out there and you had, and your mother kind of read some things, you know, what was that like knowing that you had to have these uncomfortable situations with your mother? Are you glad that you had them, that you had them, or do you wish that you didn't? I, it's funny how you say that because, one thing I do want to say is first in the Caribbean community, when something happens um, in terms of trauma or childhood, you know, sexual abuse or like, you know, again, sickness, illness, like things, um, you know, children running away from home um, after coming, like, you know, uh, coming to Canada from the Caribbean and then 
like you know they say they broke out and then like you know they they're going their own way like um those topics are very sacred to a West Indian parent and it's something in their generation that they know that with it's just swept underneath the carpet so it's not talked it's not talked about mm-hmm. so um i i can tell you rightfully right now that my even though it's been 2 years since i've had the conversation i'm still having specific conversations with my mother and there's certain things that we both have to acknowledge where she she has to take um um she has to stand before god one day to give account and i have to give account but i realized that i could only give account for myself for what i did and how i um the behavior the type of behavior i exhibited um as a, the rebellious child as the scapegoat as the the black sheep of the family i i take ownership of that i'm still taking ownership of but you know western parents they don't let you forget right they don't yeah, let you yeah. own <laughs> um, thanksgiving christmas Oh, oh, when, oh, when are you gonna have a baby? When, oh, oh, when are you gonna, when are you gonna start? Your, they always have something, mm-hmm. something to say, right? So I, I have to tell you, Coach Jamie, it's something that I'm still uh, going through. I realized through the book that I, I, a person who went to school for social worker and counseling people and helping people, I did really realize that I needed my own therapy. I needed yeah. help, and. Yeah. Uh, whether or not my mother my father anybody else could acknowledge your part i know that i have to do my part so i'm glad to say that i put myself i waited for 2 years and i found myself a black woman therapist <laughs> Dr. Stacy Thomas in Toronto and she's amazing and her mm. staff and and they're amazing designing their lives and they have I've taken care of me and through that inner work there's healing mm. uh, not everybody unfortunately is ready to go they are to acknowledge their part right yeah you, so, you you said a couple of things one you know there's there's this stereotype with black people in therapy i think a lot of us have hidden trauma so we we if you need therapy there's nothing wrong with that you need to get that and you know your friends just aren't equipped or your family members or your coworkers aren't equipped to really help right. you unpack that hidden trauma or that or the 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 problems and the challenges that you've been through And then you know yeah. for me the other thing that I believe and and this is why I'm I'm not afraid to speak my truth to family members or friends or whoever even if it's painful because it's not about how they're going to react. I don't like when I go and have a difficult conversation with somebody something that's really been kind of holding me back or something I've been struggling with to me it's not it's not about what the other person is going to do or say. is for me. I go and have the difficult conversation so I can let it go and move on with my life. It's not about them agreeing or disagreeing. And so I think for some people, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, how did you have those difficult conversations with the people around you? I could never do that. And I tell them, I said it's not about them. Right. It's about me so I can release and go on and be the best partner I can be, the best parent I can be, the best community leader, the best servant. It's not about other people. So that's what it's always been for me and i just wanted to say that for anybody listening who right now they know they have to have a difficult conversation with their mother their father their uncle their auntie their brother their sister their cousin you know your husband your children it's not about them if it's something that is 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 inside of you and it's holding you back it's about you letting go so 
that's so that's why I wanted to say that because I, so many people are holding back and they go to their grave with it, you know, and, and sometimes it's an early grave because it just eats them up. So I respect you for kind of having those difficult conversations with people. Thank you. I appreciate that. And like I said, it's an ongoing process. I think, um, when we think of healing, I believe in the mind, the mind, body, soul perspective, the holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And even though I was preaching and teaching, holistic health, um, if I didn't address those inner traumas and those inner things that happened to me in childhood, then I would be I would be a hypocrite. Mm. I would be telling you, I'm coaching you and telling others what I believe, but at the same time, I'm not personally doing the inner work. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people have approached me to do, to speak on different things. To, to I used to be a professional dancer and worship dance and Christian dance, all these things, and they want me to dance and do these things or whatever. Now, even I also talk about I address, um, I address the institute, I address the church because I was in full time ministry as well. I'm basically trained. I'm trained, so I I have a similar credentialing as a pastor, youth pastor in Canada. Wow. wow. Therefore, when I spoke about the church and how the people of the church treated me as an outcast, I felt personally. Uh, you know, they have this title of the witcher, uh, a woman, a woman, a modern day woman uh, with the issue of blood. I would be, you know, I felt ostracized with even that community. And when I started to talk about even the church and how I felt, and people were like, oh, you can't say, oh, ha, ha, oh Pastor so and so. I'm like, I'm sorry. If I listened to Pastor so and so, I wouldn't be alive. <laughs> mm. I have to go back and tell Pastor so and so. It wasn't demons, son. <laughs> it, mm. was, it was it was it's not necessarily that you healing and delivering. I need I I I I had a medical disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have and it's something that is actually passed down because it's it's actually in my family. Endometriosis is somebody in their family. It could be it could literally skip a generation. It could come down the line just like cancer, mm. right? So um, I think especially in the spiritual community, whether it be a church, a mosque, whatever, when you're giving people advice, be very careful to not mix up a medical diagnosis with healing and deliverance. Mm. <laughs> so did that change your relationship with, with the church? And did yes, it change it your... I haven't gone back to church in, <laughs> since all of that. Mm. I attend like weekly meetings and online and I watch church. I would, um, you know, but in terms of, my faith for myself, I was so happy when the pandemic, when I didn't have to go to the services mm-hmm. and, you know, be a part of that whole uh, people watching to see how you dress to, you know, praise the Lord and worship the Lord. I just mm-hmm. felt like I was at ease. I was actually, I think I found God even more in my bedroom. I was just going to ask you that. I was just going to ask you, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard people who kind of have had similar challenges with, with the church. And, it's not, and this is not to say, anything about the church. There's lots of great pastors out there and great church members and people who, you know, I know go to church and and have great relationships with their church and their pastor. But I've heard of people who've had challenges with their church and been uh, seen as outcasts and have gone into themselves. And it, and a lot of them have said that it formed a deeper relationship with their creator. So it's interesting that you're saying the same thing, right? Right. And uh, one thing I did learn during the pandemic is how to quiet myself. 
Mm. Before before the pandemic, I said in the community in general, the city of Toronto, there's a lot of these events, you know, and these galas and these mm-hmm. award ceremonies that we have to dress up and put on this full glam look. And um, I was a, uh, I, I also did a pageant, so I I came top, uh, top ten across <laughs> across Canada. I, wow. I entered my first pageant at 40 during the pandemic online. Eventually, wow. um, became a contestant, and you know, and. Canada Galaxy, that was amazing. Then I got honorary titles, Miss uh, GPS uh, 2002, and then I got Emancipation Queen this past summer. <laughs> Listen, you need this. You got too. You do too much. You have too many titles: youth pastor, pageant queen, community <laughs> leader, author. I don't have enough. There's not enough time to talk about all of the the things that you do. Right. So I use my pageantry now in my. Literally in my home, just like this, I use my pageantry and my cause and my focus to talk about women's health and advocacy. So it's amazing how I was able to create that space in my bedroom and in that space and through a light and through a phone and through my laptop to Mm. be able to still get out the message. Um, Mm. I was in full-time ministry. Um, but I still feel like I'm in ministry. The message hasn't changed. It's just the messenger has changed. Yeah, yeah. And and we should change. Like if you're not growing and you're not learning, then then you're not living, right? You have to continue to evolve. And, and sometimes people want you to stay the same. And sometimes even you want to stay the same because you're afraid of, of growing and, and who you're going to become and how different your life will look. And, you know, I know I've felt that way before. And it's okay. And I think one of the things that we have to do is I always tell people you have to slow down to speed up. Right. You have to slow down to speed up. You got to slow down to think about what do I really want in my life? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that I want in my life that are going to help elevate me to be a heightened version of myself? Exactly. And a lot of us don't want to do that. We're spending a lot of time doing a lot of different things. But those things aren't really moving our life forward in any way. And, you know, I think for you, what what I'm hearing is like the pandemic was an opportunity for you to really think about who who you are, to answer the call of what you think your purpose is, and then to find ways to make it happen. And I think that's a good lesson for people because sometimes people feel like they want to do something or they're being called, but they feel like they're not equipped or they don't know how. But just answering the call and staying curious will will give you all these directions, right? Like, did you know you were going to write a book? Did you know you were going to be an advocate for endometriosis? Did you know you were going to be on bigger platforms? Did you know all these things were going to happen? Oh, oh it literally, like I said, it's like the book was the catalyst. Did I even know that I would find a, a clubhouse, like a friend introduced me to clubhouse and I would find you, uh, Coach Ghani, I would find Coach Lovemore, Coach Nicole, and Coach and, uh, you know, coach Dr. Vibe and be drafted into the champion new community and therefore want to feel like, okay, yes, I want to, I want to do it. I want to be like coach Danny when I grow up. I want to be a coach. <laughs> but I was already doing it indirectly. I was just answering people and talking to people and giving them free advice and free resources. But mm. at the same time, someone stopped me and said, what you're doing is actually coaching. Mm-hmm. People should be paying for your 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 consultation and your advice. Yeah, you shouldn't be giving that away for free. Yeah. I'm like, really? 
I didn't yeah. even know why, because my heart is just to give and to help people. But but you 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 actually raised a good point. This is why you need to be a part of the right communities. This is why you need coaches and mentors because they can see things that you can't and they can give you clarity when there's fog, right? And that's what happened. You came into the cha- our champion you community and we started, as soon as you started talking right away, I was like, you're a coach. <laughs> All the things that you're saying, you should be charging. This is what you should be doing automatically because that's how my brain thinks. And I know that you're a giver and I know that you're somebody who just loves to help people. And when you come from that servant background, like I did, you know, working in nonprofit and always helping, it's difficult to make that transition into like what I'm offering is valuable and people should be compensating me for it. And and I saw that in you right away. And uh, and I'm glad that, you know, you're you're reaching out and you have coaches and you're starting to see your value because when people pay, they pay attention. You know, they just just take more action when they pay for things. And it's not to say you can't give away free information and valuable information. But if people who are really serious want to go deep with you, then they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to compensate you for that. And I believe that. And that's why that's why I, I stopped all these free consultations. And I was doing so many things. And I said, the real serious people who want to go deep with me will pay. And when they pay, I know they're going to get the results that they want. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to change our mindset as community people and community leaders that we're not supposed to ask for money because you are. Right. You're brave enough to put your experiences out there. You're sharing the lessons that you've learned. You're so you're saving other people from having to go through them. You're advocating. You're letting people know they're not alone and you're giving them valuable information to teach them how to deal with what's going on inside of them and how to navigate the system. Yeah, that's valuable. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I commend you for putting out the book. I commend you for, you know, coaching and really, you know, stepping into answering the call. I think a lot of people can learn that, like answer the call when you're being called to do something. Now, how do you feel about where you are in, in your journey over the last few years? How do you feel about like where you are right now? I believe, I believe that I am given a, a focal point, and um, unfortunately, um, you know, I came to a point with my sickness, my illness, my diagnosis, misdiagnosis, betrayal, um, that being, you know, um, family members, friends, and unfortunately, uh, I had to leave my my partner because he didn't believe me. My ex-husband at that time, going through all that and navigating that, I believe that I'm I'm at the place where I have to be. Unfortunately, I did have to go through those hardships. Unfortunately, it was messy. You know, it was messy waters that I navigated, but I I believe that I made it through the other side. And um, and wow, I can see growth. I'm at peace in my life. I love my life. Um, I am getting the help that I need and treatment now. And um, my, the most important thing is that I believe that I'm, I'm living my purpose and my mission and my call, that I'm destined for greatness. Mm. And uh, no one can stop me now. Um, I built up all that, that um, resiliency, that um, fortitude to move forward, to power through. And uh, one thing I, I do want to encourage um, 
women today um, who are going through their journeys. And unfortunately, some women may not be able to be able to have um, children as they were diagnosed with these things, um, or they might have to do IVF or IUI. They might have to have some sort of assisted in order to take a child. Don't feel that you're not worth it. Just because you don't have a child doesn't mean you're not worth it. I had to learn in my sacred time, my sacred space, that with or with a child, God made me for a purpose. And I am a mother to many. Because I've mothered and coached, nurtured, healed, and loved children and women and young women in my community. Those are my seeds that I've planted. And those seeds have become trees and, 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 and are, are helping others. So. Wow, that's a very, very, very powerful message that I think a lot of women need to hear. So, so thank you for that message. Um, I have a few more questions for you. But I, um, what's something that you're most proud of in your life? What I, I think I'm what I'm most proud of is again uh, when people didn't believe me, I, I, I stood up for myself. I said no, um, even though you. The doctor's report, even though this is what it says, even though this is what it left, like no, um, I deserve this. I'm worth it. I'm 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 deserve my life. I'm gonna fight for my life. And unfortunately, if you read the book, um, Doctor, uh, like Doctor Coach, uh, you look like a doctor too. <laughs> um, Coach Danny, I wrote in my book that I unfortunately it sounds bad, but I I it sounds. That that I like literally did have to threaten the surgeon and be like, um, if you don't um, operate on me, I'm gonna die, and if I die, my family's gonna come for me. That's what I told her. I said, my mom, she's no, I, she knows people in the community. And listen, you're a new doctor. <laughs> I would have added again. Going back at this, I and the funny thing is, I am not that person. Mm. I am not that person to be that observant, assert, assertive, and passive aggressive or aggressive to be like you know to tell like literally threatening somebody's career if they didn't do but for somehow I was in that moment I looked her dead in the eye and I said um I'm gonna die and she said oh well you know what let's not go there you know it, it, it's no no need to talk like that it's okay like you know thank god I got that that type of doctor <laughs> but I said I looked at her I said no I'm gonna like this needs to be done. And let me kid you not. When she did the surgery, coming out, six hours, and my mother sitting there, and cold blue, cold blue, and my mother thought her eyes dying. She came out and she told my mother, no, she's okay, everything's all right. And I remember going going back to her two weeks later, and her head was down, reading me the report, because mm. the report was actually what I thought and mm. was right. Unfortunately, I not only did I have stage, uh, endometriosis, I had stage Yeah. that's like having the worst cancer like having the worst whatever there's nothing they can do for me at that point so me being able to say you know what no something wrong and uh, and i was right and and i don't want to be a prophetic writer even some of the things that i wrote now of course then is coming to pass two years later i'm at i'm at an impasse day i'm at an impasse day where i basically have to save my life do another surgery to save my life or do another surgery where I can have children and be a mom. I have to decide. They mm. put me into this predicament and this position where I would have to choose to save my life or become a mom. 
The, you know, <clears throat> your story is such an amazing story of just fighting for yourself, right? Like there's so many people, especially when it comes to the medical profession, we're afraid yeah. to question doctors. We're afraid to, you know, always when I, I've always heard, always get a second opinion at yeah. least and independent of the place that you're going to. And my, you know, my grandmother, she was a nurse in a, a mental health hospital before okay. she passed away for many, many years. And um, I remember one time she was coming back from the Jamaica, from the airport. And I went to pick her up and I picked her up and I'm walking to the airport. And this man comes running towards her. Mrs. Stone, Mrs. Stone. I'm like, this guy's running towards my grandmother. So I clenched my hands up. I'm like, who are you? Right. right. And I put my hand out to stop him. And he goes, Mrs. Stone, remember me? I was in your hospital. And she looks. And he said his name, I think it was Greg. And he goes, remember, you helped me. He's like, you you treated me with so much care. And, you know, people thought I was crazy. And he's like, you you saved my life. My, my, my life is so different now because you cared. You know, everybody treated me badly. And you were, you were just so nurturing and so kind. And he goes, I remember you checked the doctors a couple of times when they said things about me. And he's like, you know, I haven't seen you for so many years. I'm doing well. My family's great. Thank you so much. And wow, and amazing. she just advocated for people just like you. You're, you're advocating for yourself and other people. So for anybody out there, I think, like, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. Always listen to your body and um, and and seek out communities. Right. Like seek out people like Destiny or whatever you're going through. Seek out people who are in your community who you can get advice from. Because there can be somebody who could say, well, you need to say this to your doctor, or you need to ask them to run this test, or you need to do this for yourself. But you don't know that on your own. So become a part of a community to help you with whatever challenge that you're going through and um, and share information, right? It's so important. Um, Destiny, go ahead. If I just scout that community, I actually found my community through Facebook. I put myself into a few groups. Um, if you Google endometriosis, uh, it'll come up and I joined a few groups and that's how I was also able to navigate. Hearing different people's opinions on doctors, actually, mm-hmm. not to go to this doctor, this doctor, the this to me, this, and, and basically navigating. I think, you know what? There, um, unfortunately, there are only a few specialists in Toronto. I'm pretty sure there's like only two or three. There's one in Ottawa and there's other in other places. Unfortunately, in Canada, uh, other provinces, if you live outside of Ontario, you have to fly in to get the best care. Mm. This, this, is, this, this is not the society we should support, especially after how hard we work in Canada. Taxpayer yeah. dollars, the government. There's, there's acts called the Endo Act, Endometriosis Network of Canada. They're working hard behind the scenes to show people how to do self-advocacy, how to contact their MP, MPPs and write letters and so forth and all that. But at the same time, we also have to be self-advocates, protest, whatever we have to do for ourselves, use our voice on the, these social media platforms. The CBC Gem came out with specials right now who women who are in my in predicament, who are waiting for surgery because of the backlog and the delay in, mm. in post-pandemic. Right mm. now, you can't even get children children's on medication for, for cold and flu right now. Like, there's a shortage. I'm telling yeah, you, we're going yeah. through a crisis. If we don't see that, there's a, we're in a burning car right here, Coach Stone. Yeah. If we're in a burning car and you don't believe you're burning, then how, do, how, how can I tell you that you're burning, that you need to be saved? 
Yeah, no, I it, it's really sad. It's really sad. And, and, you know, we will say this, like, we're not saying that all health professionals are bad. We're not saying all doctors are bad because there's a lot of amazing doctors out there. You know, I've had some really great ones. Uh, what we're saying is that, you know, if you feel like you're not being heard and advocated for by your health professionals, then seek help. But if you have great health professionals and they're they're doing everything that you need them to do, then, you know, obviously stick with those health professionals. I just, I think it's important that we say that, but um, you've definitely had a journey. You, you know, just hearing you, uh, uh, your story and what you've been through and how strong you are and how much courage you have. I think it's, it encourages me to continue to do the work that I'm doing to help people find that inner champion. And I think, you know, it's going to encourage a lot of people to keep going. So those tough days when you're like, I don't know if I can do it. If you need a pause, pause, but don't quit because you're inspiring so many people, like so many people that you don't even know. And so Destiny, I have two final questions for you that I ask every single guest. And my first question is, what does the word grind mean to you? Grind means to me, like, it's like you're on the hustle, you're on the go. You're, you're moving. Despite everything that's happened around you, you're still moving. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Short and sweet. And lastly, what does the word gratitude mean to you? Gratitude means being, to me, means being grateful. Gratitude comes, the the main word is being grateful, being thankful, um, taking a moment of pause, um, just to acknowledge where you are in your life, um, how you've gotten there, and uh, just to that acceptance that, that you're moving on the right path. So I'm a navigator, Captain Stacey signing off. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Uh, Look, Navigating with gratitude every day, even though through chronic illness and disease, diagnosis, misdiagnosis, all that, I'm grateful for my life every day when I wake up in the morning. I give thanks to God, my creator. Amen. Mm, thank you so much. So listen, this has been an amazing conversation. I know a lot of people are going to get value from this. So let everybody know, one, where they can buy your book and where they can connect with you. So it's on Amazon. Uh, if you're outside of Canada, it's on Amazon. You can order the e-Kindle right now. There's a special going on for Black Friday and all that thing, American Thanksgiving. I'm giving away a free tote. With the purchase, if you want to find me on Instagram and, and Facebook, Destiny Savory, uh, underscore Destiny Savory, S-A-V-A-R-Y, um, you are in Ontario, Canada, I can mail you a copy and you will get a free code uh, courtesy of Declan. Wow, that's amazing. Well, again, Destiny, everybody make sure that you follow her. Make sure you get a copy of her book, The Perfect Storm. You know, I know that there's so many lessons in there that will help you kind of move your life forward. Destiny, I want to say thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking time. Everybody else, again, really appreciate you tuning in to the Grind and Gratitude show. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, grab a copy of Destiny's book, The Perfect Storm, and I will catch you in the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this, there's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.